0: Everybody, uh, we're back for week two of the Long Tooth podcast. We're about a week into the new Knicks season, and I couldn't think of a better person to come on and talk about the 2020, 21 Knicks and really just hold this Knicks, this whole Knicks experience. Um, it's a it's a complicated one. So I I did the uh, the 2020 thing and I slid into the DMs of Andrew Steinthal and I said, Hey man, would you just come on my podcast? Uh, And that worked out. So coming on the podcast now, Andrew Steinfall, one of the co-founders of The Infatuation, a site I use regularly. Um, So I'm also very excited to just talk about your end of the business. But I I guess, Andrew, I mean, first of all, thanks for coming on. Uh, And the Knicks, you're coming off a big win. It's a big win. I mean, 2020 in the Knicks has been,
1: you know, just like 2020 in the rest of the world. Been a crazy, crazy, (laughs) crazy ride. But i um, honored to be here to talk about my favorite topic, um, which are the Knickerbockers.
0: So we've talked a little bit on, on Twitter, just kind of going back and forth. Um, I think the last tweet you sent me, uh, was in response to when Frank nilikino went like four or four from three in that Bucks game. And, and you're like, yeah, the surprise of 2020 never stop ending. Um, I don't know like what how are you feeling right now? The 1 and 2 Knicks, Tom Thibodeau is at the helm, Leon Rose is running the thing. Like let's jump into it.
1: I'm extremely optimistic about the current state of the Knicks. I'm I'm always sort of an optimist and hopeful as a Knicks fan and I feel like this crew right now in the front office is different than any crew we've had in the last couple of decades. I think Leon Rose put some respect on his name. He is one of the most beloved figures in basketball. He knows the game. He knows how to, you know, find talent. He hasn't done it in this capacity before for a team, but, you know, by all accounts, everything he's done at CAA, like he's amazing. Bringing in Wes on the relationships front. That's a good thing. Like having somebody like that in your corner in this league is extremely helpful and Tibbs is an incredible coach look at this team look at how hard they're playing on defense for the first time like in recent memory that you can you can physically see what's happening that they are playing hard that they are actually like being coached the right way so you know Tibbs is a is a beast he's great I'm very excited about Tibbs talk to me in a year I could be like yep see I'm just an optimist who (laughs) is is always just hoping for the best but I don't know. Like, I'm I'm excited about the 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 direction the organization is going. You look at salary cap for next year. There's only what four or five guys with guaranteed contracts. The the work they did on free agents this year. I mean, look at this year compared to last year. Last year they're handing out twelve point was it ten million or twelve point five million to Taj Gibson, and Taj doesn't even have a job anymore. Respect to Taj. Love Taj, but like. You know, this year going five mil for Burks, five mil for Knoll on one year deals that Austin Rivers deal. We haven't even seen him yet, but like that's a that's a that's a great deal. Like they just there are a lot of assets that they've compiled that they might be able to spin into picks midway through the season this year. That like we had one last year with Marcus Morris, but you're looking at, you know, Burks is really good. Noel's a solid, um, you know, the way Randall's playing. Who knows what you could get for Randall at the deadline this year if you if they want to move him, which they should. But, um, yeah. Hey,
0: listen, you, you can't trash the 2019 offseason anymore. I think it's off limits with the way Julius Randall is playing. He's just three games in, small sample size vindication of the 2019 plan.
1: But I also think, like, credit to Randall for coming into – camp in the right headspace with in shape and like being willing to like, you know, not be like an asshole and, and really play like be coached. Right. And, and to, he works really well with a lot of the players on the court. So, you know, as much as many Knicks fans have given Randall some flack and like, you know, it's tough, you know, like last year, he was so much top of the key Julius Randall shot creation into turnover. Yeah. And like pound, 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 But like, that's not who he is, you know, but like, if you put him in the right position, like he's really effective. He's a good basketball player. That's for sure. It's just the like nucleus of the team and the pieces around him haven't, haven't fit well, but you know, this year he's played incredible basketball. You can't take that away from him.
0: I do think it's funny. I mean, I was kidding about kind of the 2019 free agency vindication, but like, it is funny how, you know, this is some of these things that the Knicks are doing now. I'm like, David Fizdale tried to make Julius Randle kind of the point forward, the hub of the offense. It did not go well. Um, I think the enduring image of last season will be one of his many, you know, drives into the lane, spin, turnover, like team goes the other way. Like this year, he's playing so much better, so much more under control. He's more fluid as a, as a playmaker. Like Reggie Burke is healthy, giving him some spacing. Rg RJ Barrett is better. Granted, he's another year older. So like part, part of that's not at all to do with Tom Thibodeau, but like, I think that has been the Tom Thibodeau effect. It's just kind of, making everything cleaner, crisper, better, especially on the offense so far this season um, than it was last year. And, and with some of the same players.
1: Totally. And look, I, at the end of the day, like I don't want this team to make the playoffs. I don't want them to win. A-
0: you're in Cade Cunningham mode. Like that's where you're at.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the best case scenario here is like, you see like RJ is a real baller and like, quickly, who I'm completely, absolutely enamored with um, is real and legit and Obi looks good and Mitch takes steps forward. Like if, if those guys prove that they can, there's something there for the future, which it seems like there is with all of them, right? Like, and then you can add hopefully a top five pick to that nucleus and maybe we finally get lucky and the basketball gods, you know, decide that we can, we, we are allowed to have a number one pick, (laughs) like that would be great. That would be really great. And look, there's a – I think we're all kind of staring at that Mavericks pick next year. Obviously, the Mavs looked good against the Clippers the other day, but there's a real shot the Mavs could miss the playoffs. Love Luka. They're uh, but it's possible.
0: It's possible. I mean, I guess. Listen, after 2020, I'm not saying anything is impossible anymore. Like, everything is always on the table forever now. Um, the
1: West is tough. The Kings look good. The Suns are here. Like <laughs> – there's a bunch of teams out there. There's a chance the Mavs, if if like Luca gets hurt at all, that team, come on, Dwight Powell and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney Smith, that's a bunch of role players. Without Luca, that team is nowhere. Nowhere. And like you're just, KP's not playing. Come on. He's not really playing games. He doesn't like you're games.
0: just going to bed every night. You're like in your prayers and you're like, I don't want Luka, dear God, I don't want Luka to get like really hurt, but maybe just miss like twenty-five games. That's yeah, that's but, where you're at
1: agree like I'm um, aligned never want to wish injury on anybody especially luca luca's incredible and want to watch him play basketball but i'm more than happy for him to miss a couple weeks here and there and have the mavericks miss the playoffs
0: yeah i mean uh i, I think they get there i think Luca's uh too good for that team to miss the play even in the west i but you know that you know i will say that the way that the 2021 draft is looking like Cade Cunningham, yeah, sure, but also Jalen Suggs, uh, Jalen Green, Evan. I mean, not that the Knicks need more frontcourt help, but, like, Evan Mobley's looking nice. Like, there's a lot of ways that this can go. I think more important, though, is just kind of the, the way this team is looking pretty competent. Like, again, it's three games, you know. They have a four-game West Coast trip. We're all right, road trip that starts tonight. We're doing this on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, they, they face the mighty undefeated Cavaliers. So, we'll see how all of this goes. But, like, things are things are looking uh, just, just competent for the Knicks. And like, that's kind of interesting. Totally, It's
1: definitely interesting. They'll definitely get clobbered by a bunch of teams very soon. And then we'll be like, Oh, they look terrible. But um, you know, I think overall you can't, you just can't knock the like preparation and you can't knock the hustle and you can't knock the fact that like they have a game plan, which is more than they've ever had in a while. And it's exciting for sure. And I think the the game that just happened, I mean, the Bucks should be, you know, we're coming off that like win against the Bucks. The, the Bucks need to really look at themselves in the mirror because if you're gonna come in and get destroyed, you're nicked up thirty at one point. Like that's <laughs> going in the bad. Tracking, guys. Like that's yeah, that's that's not okay. And the idea that you're gonna bring in respect to Bobby Portis, but that Bobby Portis and DJ Augustine are your like you know bench acquisitions for the season. I don't know
0: about that. Yeah. I don't think it bodes well for the bucks that the Knicks basically did the build the wall against Giannis thing. And it led to a 20 point win. Uh, so if you're trying to like have that offense work in the off in the playoffs, like that, that's just kind of foreshadowing some bad things for them.
1: Yeah, but the, and then that, that game, like, look, <laughs> Alfred Payton with the biggest FU to everybody in Knicks world <laughs> ever. Um, well done elf. But him and Akina going 7 for 7 from downtown together is never going to happen ever again in the history yeah. of basketball.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you more smitten with Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin right now?
1: Quickly Quickly is the Quigley's unbelievable. I'm totally enamored with Quickly. He's he's like everything the Knicks have needed in a point guard, even though granted I've, he's played a total of like 20 minutes and these are the conclusions I'm jumping to, so obviously Take with a with a massive tub of salt, um, but like he's really good. I mean, it's he he can run an offense. He knows how to run a pick and roll. He can pull up for a jump shot. He can get into the paint. He makes other players better. He creates space. He's able to kind of like move his body to create contact and get to the line. He does a lot of things that we haven't seen a Knicks guard be able to do in forever. And like that breath of fresh air is. Is amazing because we've been watching, you know, Dennis Smith and Frank. I love Frank. Like, I'm a Frank truther, but he's not a point guard. And that's just, that's the reality. Like, watching Frank try and dribble is painful. Like, try and break half court and like come to like figure out how to go, you know, <laughs> east west when, you know, these guys go, you know, you, you watch a lot of the Knicks' point guards just go from the top of the key, from one side to the other, none of them can get to the basket ever. And having somebody who can actually break down a defense for the first time in a while and, like, not just break down defense and then throw up bricks or turn the ball over, but, like, break down a defense and create, and it's exciting. And I think Quickly, they clearly saw something with Quickly. They made moves to move up to get him. No, He was on nobody's radar, you know, like, they really – they they think they have something, which is exciting. So I'm I'm all in on on quickly. I can't believe they're not making quickly jerseys yet on the Knicks website. I'm ready to cop one for my son and my daughter. Um, you know, but they need they need to get on that. They got Ob jerseys, but they not got no quickly jerseys. They somehow have Ivan Rab jerseys up on the on the team still website. Yes,
0: they made them in the first place. I didn't know that Ivan Rab was worthy of a jersey to begin with. <laughs> That's what I'm saying.
1: There they, he's still up there. And he 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 got a jersey and it's still for sale without a discount. But what is discounted okay. is a big pull from the next team store, the Frank Milakina kids jerseys, which I know you might be in the market for, <laughs> on sale for $15.
0: I I uh, I think by the time my my daughter is old enough uh, to wear jerseys, I don't know if Frank will be around uh for her to <laughs> Yeah, to wear one of those. Do you are are your are your kids uh, Knicks fans? Are you
1: letting them go down that path? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm push. I'm pushing basketball as hard as I possibly can to the point that they're like, "Stop! Like you're annoying," and I am. But they're they're also like a little too little. But my my daughter is now. She's interested because the games are on when she should be sleeping. So she knows that she can come and start asking me questions and like, want to like engage around basketball to learn the game, to like pretend that she cares about learning the game because it will let her not have to go to sleep. Right. Right. So like she'll do anything to not go to sleep. Right. So she knows how to get at me, but she's, she's, I, I put a, a hoop up in my son's room and now all of a sudden without me even pushing them, they're like constantly like looking to play and figure out how to, you know, work on their shots. And I've been enjoying the fact that like, oh yeah, you know, especially during quarantine, you're in the house all the time, in the apartment all the time, that any opportunity for sport or game or things to do um, are big. So basketball has become something that my kids are starting to get into a little bit.
0: So here, I'm going to run my theory by you and you you tell me what you think. So my thought behind when the the Nets signed Kyrie, and Kevin Durant was I don't think it's going to help them that much now, like in terms of attendance, in terms of ratings, in terms of just getting more Nets fans. Like there's just New York city is an, is a Knicks town. Like I, I think no matter how much you try to fight against that tide, it's just not going to happen. But I think maybe a generation down the line, like these p- kids now will be grow up to be Nets fans, right? Cause they'll see Kyrie and KD. So if you're seven, when you're 17, you're going to be a big Nets fan. Are you letting your kids watch Nets games? Or are you just not going to let them even know the existence of Katie and Kyrie playing together? Cause you don't want them to possibly get swayed by Kyrie's handles and and then want to shoes and go down this line.
1: I'd let my kids watch any basketball they want to watch. <laughs> they can, They can make up their decisions for themselves. I think fandom comes from, you know, family in many respects and, or at least like, who you're exposed to and what you're i mean that, that's where my fandom came from right like my family my dad was a massive knicks fan was going to knicks games was born in the bronx like that's i watched him he was obsessed with the knicks so i became obsessed with the knicks and i think that a lot of kids follow in their parents footsteps and i think that's also why the knicks will forever be new york's team regardless of who is on the nets and i have no problem i think i think the shift there's definitely been a big shift as to like young people following players in the last 10, 15 years, as opposed yeah. to, teams. you know, like that, that is definitely a real thing. Um, and I do think to your point that, you know, 10 years from now, there's going to be a lot more people who are growing up as Nets fans who grew up in Brooklyn, you know, but I think at, at this juncture, there's still a huge divide, like regardless of what happens with Katie and Kyrie, they could go win a chip. which they they probably will, which would be very sad for many Knicks fans. Um, But I don't think that changes the fact that not that many people in New York City are going to be that excited about that chip. Like there's going to be a lot of people who love those players who are cool. Yeah. 10 people who originally loved the Nets in New Jersey. Shout out to Jonathan Forgang, one of my best friends, who like is a <laughs> actual Nick Nets fan, right? I have not met yeah. any of them, but like they do exist. And then there are some people who like adopt who like live in Brooklyn and are big hoops heads who are like, yeah, the Nets, the Nets are dope. Like we're a Nets fan. Like, you know, the stadium's near me now. So it, it's all good. But like the reality is, is that Knicks fans, we have, I mean, the level of passion and like it, it's it's something that's been with us for a long time, especially us, you know, I'm 40. So anybody who missed the championship teams with, with Frazier, you know, in the, in the seventies, like that, we have been deprived. We were close, you know, and like, we were hungry for it. And, you know, we grew up with that Ewing, Oakley, Mason, Starks, like that stuff was unbelievable. And so if you experienced that and never got that championship as a fan, you, you just, you can't ever let that go. You need that. You want that. That's gonna happen. And like the idea that any Knicks fans that grew up in that era would uh, would jump ship and become Brooklyn fans because of KD and and Kyrie is is ridiculous, you know. And I also am like happy, not happy. Like getting KD and Kyrie and winning a championship with the Knicks wouldn't be like it we'd take it for sure. We'd take anything.
0: I was gonna say like I don't I don't know about
1: these qualifiers. You'd you'd be elated. We'd take it, but it would be even better to like actually build a real team that was yours, a homegrown team that you then put some pieces into, but like could actually run a business the right way. And, you know, the business of basketball hasn't been run very well um, at Madison Square Garden for a while.
0: Yeah, I was going to I was gonna say, I was going to ask uh, what your first Knicks fans' memories were. And it's funny, like, the 90s teams, like, I've talked to a bunch of uh, people, who you know, who were fans then and, like, are fans now. And I think there was some level of, like, angst and, you know, dissatisfaction and just frustration that there was no title in the 90s that came out of it, even though that was kind of, like, a golden era. And now they all look back on it, and that's, like, their halcyon days. Like, th- that was the peak of Knicks fandom, and they would just kill just to have, like, a really good Knicks team for five years that, you know, whether they make the the finals or not. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's part of it. It's just like being in the playoffs, making deep runs, Madison Square Garden, just in general, that place is, there's no place better. Especially when the Knicks are good and making, making noise, like, man, like it's it's, places electric. It's so much fun. It's just great. New York city comes alive. New, New York city is such a basketball town. So it's just, Nick's being good is is so good for the entire vibe of 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 everything as it relates to New York. So yeah, going back to having a team that people could be excited about and root for. I mean, look, like Linsanity was the closest thing we've had to um to the 90 to the that 90s run in the last two decades. You know, I mean, like that that Linsanity moment was was <laughs> incredible. Like that, that yeah. was really, really amazing. And it was also part of the fact that it was so unexpected, you know, and it wasn't like any of it wasn't like Phil Jackson or Dolan had anything to do with that happening. Right. It was just that like a series of things happened to give him an opportunity. And then that, that all went bananas. And it was such such a feel good thing, you know? And that was, that was really, even, you know, the Knicks did make the playoffs a couple times with Melo, but like none of that was ever very exciting. You know, it wasn't like, Oh, there was real hope that like, that was a team that could, really do anything you know like so i don't know like the very excited for someday someday in the future whether it's you know probably 10 years from now when the knicks finally can like put together a squad that could do things but i feel like in five four to five years there's that there's a glimmer of hope
0: your internal timeline like what when when you're doing the calculus in your head you're like okay these players and we're sure we get more picks we use free agency what is the next year they go back to the playoffs what season are we looking at
1: I think they go to the playoffs in twenty. What is, what is it? Twenty twenty one, twenty one twenty two. I'm gonna say either twenty two twenty three or twenty three twenty
0: four. Okay, so by the end of RJ Barrett's yeah, f- I mean, rookie like, contract, you have,
1: hope, you have to hope for right. Like you, you assume that a couple of these guys can work out. You have a good young core, and then they can go add some some st- stud free agents that to a, to a young core. That's exciting,
0: right? Yeah. And if they get Cade Cunningham, then it just all happens next year anyway. And it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> Who knows? Be so great, I would love to get Cade Cunningham. That would be really exciting.
0: <laughs> I, I, Jalen Suggs. I like Jalen Suggs the more I watch him. I, I don't think it's just a Cunningham draft anymore.
1: There's a there's a bunch of guys in the draft lab next year. There's, there's a lot. So just got to keep playing hard, losing games. But... <laughs>
0: play hard can't lose games can't lose is that like the crappy version of the friday night lights thing yeah but then
1: give the fans like one of these bucks games every once in a while to be like oh yeah all right this is there's something there's something cracking here and then there's of course like this like pipe like the worst case scenario but also like you can't be so mad at it right is the knicks keep winning a couple games and all of a sudden they're in that like play in seed playoff thing depending on how this east shapes up because the east looks yeah right. i mean like You can't say much after three games of the season, but stuff looks wonky with Orlando looking good and Cleveland dominating. Like, it's just...
0: Who knows what happens? I mean, this is a pandemic here. Like, we don't know, like... Who's gonna miss time? When? For how long? Like, I don't know what will what will happen. This is not a normal year. Like, the Cavs can make the, the the like as a six seed make the playoffs, and I'd be like, all right, that's fine, that makes sense. Some stuff happened. Colin Sexton played well. Okay, I got it. Um,
1: the Cavs look good. I mean, like, <laughs> Sexton's been playing well for about like six months now. <laughs> like, he's yeah, like, the dude is legit, and Garland all of a sudden looks really good, and you just. We all write people off. Like these kids are so young when they come into the league; they have such little experience. And then you write them off as soon as they're not, you know, the next big thing immediately. And then all of a sudden, you've got Darius Garland, who has only been in the league for a year. He's still a child, and like he's putting up numbers. He's legit. He's real. And like all of a sudden, the Cavs have Sexton and Garland and Portillo, like Okoro. right? Okoro and like Drummond and (laughs) Kevin Love and they just got a bunch of dudes and you're like, Oh yeah, this team actually could be really solid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Were you, uh, when, when the Leon Rose hire got made, were you in on that? Were you surprised? Like what was your reaction when you saw that play out? Very excited about
1: that. Leon, Leon, I don't know Leon personally, but I'm close with a lot of people at CAA that we've done a lot of business with over the years and, um, his people, Love him. Like he is revered. People really respect him. They love working for him. Um, you know, and he's he's just people I've heard nothing but amazing things. And you can tell, you know, we've had at our we've done with the infatuation, we do a lot of like IRL experiences and events over the years. Um, we, we have a festival called EatsCon that we had um Dwayne Wade come and do a talk with us about wine. That was really fun. D. Wade is a CAA client, a Leon Rose client. Uh, We've had Chris Paul come and do, we did a wine room with Verizon at NBA All-Star Weekend um, last year before the pandemic hit um, in Chicago. And, you know, CP, another Leon Rose guy. So we've done a bunch of stuff with their guys and like, they're just their whole team has been has been amazing to work with, and and they have nothing but great things to say. So I was really excited to see him get that job, just because, you know, he's he's this iconic figure in basketball, and if he could bring some of those smarts and some of that business savvy and just like understanding of how to build the right way to the Knicks, that's what we desperately need. So, I, like, competence has not been a thing that seems to have. Uh, graced the front office of the New York Knicks for a long time. So, you know, uh, neither has relationships, you know, or, or savvy. So, you know, and, and you look no further than the like free agent class of last year, right. Of like stacking all these contracts, leaving yourself no space to take on bad contracts to acquire picks with like all the things that we've all been hoping for and preaching for a long time. And now look at what they're doing. Like they're actually doing it. They're doing exactly what they should be doing.
0: The Ed Davis trade um, was the most like excited I've seen Knicks fans get about just a sequence of trades that netted you no know, actual players on the rot. Well, that's not true. No, Omari Spellman ended up making the roster, and just three second round picks. And I totally understand why because it was kind of a savvy move that I. I, I mean, the Knicks haven't done in a while. They like intentionally chose not to use their cap space to acquire picks in the 2019 summer, they signed all those guys for a reason. Cause they didn't want to, you know, take on like Mo Harkless or be a player for Andre Iguodala or any of those things. So it's been interesting to see them do that. And I mean, you mentioned quickly in how he came out of nowhere, right? Like it helps to have Kenny Payne on your coaching staff then because he was on the coaches. St- like there is no better Intel than the assistant coach now working for you.
1: Yeah. Well, look at all the, look at all the hires they've made on I mean, the assistant coach front on um, you know, front office front with like the stat, like there's a, I mean, you know better than any of us, right? Like, <laughs> cause I read your things and I'm like, oh shit, this guy, you know, they brought in some stats guy who I don't know who he is, but he I read something that you wrote and I was like, oh, this is, this is perfect. Right. They're actually being strategic about putting all these interesting pieces together and and it, it could pay off in a big way. And I think, um, Quickly is such a good example of that, that like, they also, I also love that like, nobody knows what the Knicks are doing. They're being super hush. About nobody that. knows. Right. And like, it's very weird. As much as these beat writers want to pretend like they have any idea what's going on. They do not. They have no idea the sort of source. There's no sources. Like stop.
0: All right. No, it's not even beat writers. Like I've talked to like a, a people who are usually kind of cooed in on what's going on. And a lot of them just said like, we're not sure what the Knicks are doing. I th- I was talking to one, one agent, and then it was, I think it was a night or two before the draft. And he's like, yeah, you know, I think I have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in the lottery. I just don't have a read on what the Knicks were doing. Now it ended up going kind of a, kind of a conventional way. Like Obi Toppin had been linked to them for a while, but I think there was kind of just this lack of certainty of which way they were leaning. And, um, It was just weird. I mean, they've played things very close to the vest. Like Leon Rose, I think I I didn't get to cover him for very long, but apparently played things very tightly as an agent. Uh, Worldwide West is renowned for just like being completely off the grid. A lot of the time I think, uh, and and Brock Aller, like some people around the NBA hadn't even heard of him before the Knicks hired him. Um, So they're, they're playing it very tight right now, which is, you know, better than it it had been pretty leaky. I think in years past, um, yeah, I wish it was still leaky. I prefer that uh, as a reporter. But, yeah, no, like, good for them.
1: Yeah. No, it's cool. It's, uh, it's definitely good. I think, I, got, I think they have the right nucleus here to, like, actually build a winner for the future. When that winning really starts, TBD. But, look, last year it hindered the entire team's growth with the young kids. I mean, look at, like, they brought in all these guys who required playing time. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Knox doesn't even get to play. And when he does get to play, he's putting all this pressure on himself. I would have loved last year to have Frank and Knox get to play 30 minutes a game and just figure some stuff out and like start to, you know, either sink or swim when you're on the floor. And even if you have no coaching, like just let them, let them play.
0: <laughs> yeah. But uh, here's, here's an idea for you guys. Here's a, a story you guys should do. Uh, like the eater's guide to New York for Kentucky fans when they come to watch the Wildcats play at MSG. Back when people travel and go to games again, that thing is weird though. How uh, how many Kentucky guys that they have? It's it's a little like I don't know. I, I raised my eyebrow that one.
1: Yeah, I got it. it's a lot. But listen, well, we can we'll take some of that Kentucky talent. <laughs> You're fine with, with taking some of that, and if if last year's playoffs are any indication that Kentucky guys can play in big spots, like. We'll, we'll, We'll take, we'll take some Tyler hero or bam or any of that kind of juju coming to the Knicks way. Yeah,
0: please. So here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm reading, I was reading your, uh, your page on the infatuation. And this last line caught me. Uh, I don't know if you remember what it is, but it says his dream would be to own the Knicks someday. It's true. Uh, how close of a reality are you, uh, to, to getting there? That is nowhere near, uh, close
1: to reality. That's uh, that is a pipe dream and a pipe dream that I don't think will ever come to fruition. Um, but you know what? Dare to dream, right? That's uh, that's why we're here.
0: Is it? Uh, do you go to Knicks games often? Like, do you have tickets? Would you go pop in from time to time?
1: Yeah, I go all the time. I've, moved, I've had season tickets for a long, long time. I love going to the Garden. I'm there all the time. If anybody wants to ever holler at me, I'll I'll be there. I won't be there in the <laughs> pandemic. I don't even know what's called. yeah. I need to follow up and see. They had like
0: are you paying right now? Like, I don't even know.
1: Did, I, I, I don't think you don't get charged. I don't remember what the current status is. There's a guy that we shared that I share tickets with that um he had, I remember he had that they're in his name. So he was asking if we wanted to re-up and they had all these options. And I was like, I'm definitely in, but like what's going on? And then I just kind of dropped the ball. So got to see what's going on. I need to imagine that if you want your tickets, you can still get your tickets.
0: Yeah, I would hope so. Is it weird to have a Nick season going on and just know you're not going to the garden for the foreseeable future?
1: Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, it's such like a thing that I do all the time. It's like one of those, like, but like the whole year has been like that, right? Like you don't go, yeah. to, work, right? you don't go to work, like you're not going anywhere. So I guess it doesn't, I mean, that, I haven't thought about that specifically, but it's definitely a thing that I do a lot of as part of my life routine, which is go to the garden and watch the Knicks win, uh, or not win, and be shitty at basketball, but enjoy it anyway, and, uh, and hang out with other Knicks fans, you know? Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I mean, look, owning the Knicks is kind of a, a joke um, that I don't think would ever happen. I don't think, I mean... I just would love somebody else to own the Knicks. <laughs> somebody else.
0: I don't think you're the only Knicks fan I've heard that from.
1: Yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> so, I mean, let me, let me <laughs> I guess let me ask you, I mean, how did, uh, how did the infatuation start up for you guys? Like, how did this all come to be where you're, you're co-founder of this, like, very popular, very well-done website and app and everything else you guys you do events? Like, you do a bunch of stuff.
1: Yeah. So the, the origin story of the infatuation is that myself and my business partner, Chris Tang, we were good buds. We, we met when we were in college. Actually, we were music directors at our respective college radio stations. Um, nice. WICB in Ithaca. And he was at KCSU, Colorado State, actually in New York for a CMJ music convention, um, which was a big, which, which is a co- college radio um, festival back in the day. And uh, we both got the same call from a guy we talked to to go to TRL that day, which was the year 2000. Nice. Like the height of Carson Daly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was you a know. big TRL fan.
1: Yeah, it was it was a whole thing. Like Destiny's Child with the guest that day, jumping, jumping. And we both said yes. And we both literally met on set at TRL that day and became fast friends and drank like 18 beers that night. And we're like, oh, we're going we're gonna to do stuff together. We're going to build something. It's going to be amazing. We're going to take over the music business. And so he moved to New York where I was, obviously where I'm from, um, after school and, you know, we both started rising in the ranks in the music industry. And, um, you know, that was kind of the dream. We'd always had this entrepreneurial spirit to like build something ourselves. And we got into the music business, you know, in the year 2002, when Napster was like peaking, you know, and the labels were like pushing Napster away. It was a very interesting time to be in the, in the music world. And, our initial idea was, oh, we're gonna have a record label. And once you get in the music world about that time, you're like, ooh, that's not a good idea. And so we, we kept uh, we kept growing and building um, our own careers. I was ultimately the uh, VP of PR at Warner Brothers Records. And Chris um, was a VP of marketing at Atlantic Records. And, you know, we had these great, you know, dream jobs in the music business, but we, we had, you know, we wanted to do something else ourselves. You know, when you spend your whole life kind of working other people's stuff, you kind of get the itch to like build something on your own. And um, we had a couple business ideas that we never really followed through on. And then, you know, we were the guys in our circles that like everybody came to for recommendations, you know, for bars and restaurants. I mean, everybody has yeah. one friend that they text or that they um, call when they're like, I got a date or my parents are in town or I just want to go like possibly meet somebody. And you know, in New York City, you're using bars and restaurants for all these very specific occasions and and you need the right place for the right thing. And you know, whether that was before a Knicks game, you know, need a quick bite, you know, to go meet up with some friends or like a spot that's open late after a Knicks game. Um, those are both very different experiences. And um and the New York Times or Time Out or New York magazine didn't, you know, while they covered restaurants it was from the very like serious critical lens. It wasn't the like, you know, situational occasion-based lens to like add value to the everyday person who's just like, I need X for X, you know? So we were like, screw it. We had watched Pitchfork and Music do it um, where they were the voice of the people kind of coming in being very honest and real about records. And they had built an amazing brand and ultimately were the most influential, you know, reviews website that could help break a record. We're like, why can't we do this in restaurants, right? So we started writing. That's
0: that's that's pretty lofty ambition.
1: Like I like it. That was the that was the dream. Right? That the dream was how do you know we have opinions and <laughs> people trust us. At least our friends do. So like right know, trust us. So we just started writing and you know basically applied everything we about building a band to building a brand. And it just so happened that that brand represented restaurant discovery. And so we spent five years while we had our full-time jobs, um, you know, doing this on the side and hustling and right, you know, going out to eat every, like every other night, he and I would rotate writing a different review. And um, we did these things called Friday fives where we'd get like, (laughs) I remember we got Tina Servacio once to pick her when she was nice to give us her, five top picks and she would pick from our perfect four categories. And like, you know, and it was a way to kind of promote to other people that we had, you know, we, we were a thing and, and we had celebrities pick their restaurants and that was the first five years. And then we, we really started to catch fire. We started doing events from an early age, um, really bringing people together around our brand, building a community, helping people meet other people that were like-minded. Um, and it really just kept growing and growing. And then we, we bounced from our jobs in 2014 and, you know, kind of challenged ourselves to build a real business and expand into other markets. And what started as a New York thing is now, you know, we cover restaurants in 50 markets, 10 of them full time. Um, you know, we have offices or not our offices anymore, but like theoretical offices, in, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, New York and LA and London, London's actually been an amazing market for us. And, you know, we have a, big business where we do integrated brand partnerships, which is the stuff that I run. And um, we work with brands like American Express and Don Julio and BMW and Verizon to put on digital experiences, IRL experiences, create content. And at the end of the day, like just like the athletic, right? Like we have a really engaged audience of people who trust us, you, who, like, right. hey, who, who we become a part of their daily lives and who we have a really cool, direct one-to-one relationship with. And, you know, it's hard to reach those people and those audiences. So brands pay up for smart, strategic ways to communicate with them in an organic and authentic way, you know? So we do a ton of events and big digital experiences and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, like, we're just trying to create value for people and help people make decisions on where to eat and drink.
0: Well, I mean, I think you guys have succeeded at something that I, I find to be the kind of the most uh, dangerous road on uh, Tahoe. I judge people by what restaurants they recommend. Like I'm one of those people where if you you recommend some place to me and it just ends up sucking, I just, I don't trust you as much anymore. And I'm kind of wary about the life choices that you've made. So, I mean, I've used I part of the reason why I want to have it on is just cause I'm a fan of the infatuation. Like I like what you guys do and I use the website and all that and, and all the, all your recommendations. And so I, just, I think it's great that you guys, you guys have like succeeded at this thing that it's, I think is really hard to do. Like it's, it's when people ask you for recommendations and where to eat, like you really have to trust them. And like, really, as you said, you know, have this good relationship, whether it's be with a friend or like, you know, brand that you, you want to go to what they tell you to go to.
1: Totally. I mean, look. That I appreciate you saying that. I mean, look, trust. We've worked really hard to earn the trust of of an audience, right? You're never going to always agree with our take on something, but um, you'll know where we stand. And I think we've always been real about that. And you know, people people have needed somebody to just tell them what to do, you know. And yeah. like, that's you know that's what they want. People, you know, I when I go on the internet, I'm like I'm trying to buy a new TV or something. I'm just like wire cutter, fifty inch. Right. Like just wire cutter. I trust you. Tell me what TV to buy. Right. And I think it's, it's a similar thing. And it's like, you know, with, with a brand like the infatuation, like people trust our POV, we've always hired, you know, people that are like us that kind of came from different worlds. We never hired um, traditional food writers. And I think that's always been something that's been really effective for us. We, you know, we, we really, the people that write for us have always been actors or lawyers or, you know, folks who have worked in cosmetics or startups or whatever that have kind of switched their careers and, and now are writing about restaurants. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, look, obviously the pandemic has, has changed a lot in this industry and it's really been a tough year. It's really a sad year for the hospitality industry and just the lack of support they've received from the government and just the whole thing. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all kind of shakes out in the next next year or so Um, but we really you know when we used to be more critical of like reviewing restaurants and all that we shifted our focus this year to be more of an advocate for restaurants and doing whatever to support the hospitality industry and just you know obviously with folks opening closing being open different hours offering different services to to consumers like trying to stay on top of that stuff to report it so that we can as best we can support this industry that's going through a really really tough time right now
0: yeah. I mean, I, I saw you guys kind of got away with away from your graded reviews and like it's it's been really crazy to see the adaptability of restaurants like one of my favorite bakeries in Montclair, uh, New Jersey, ended up also turning into like a basically a grocery store for me from time to time. Early on, we were getting eggs and yeast and dough from them because they just had all this product and that's how all these places are trying to survive. Um, I do need some recommendations about where to eat around MSG, though, because the situation outside of like Pizza Suprema is pretty bleak, I think. Um, that, that, that area needs to get worked up a little bit.
1: Yeah, that, that, that place, um, that, the whole area around the garden, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, we need to, we'll do when in, you can actually go back to basketball games and you can actually go to restaurants. We should do a little section of this pod where we kind of recommend. A different couple of places um once once the dust settles yeah in listen this, in this exact moment it's hard to recommend anything
0: <laughs> no, 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 no 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 no. i'm not asking no but like people i so like you know scouts will come in execs will come in and they're like where do you you know where do you eat and i'm like well listen right by the garden there's like one pizza place and i can recommend like if you need a drink i'll go around here and you know the korean food around there is pretty good yeah. uh but well, like I, I'm like I don't know you need you need to go a few blocks away if you want to try to find some food around MSG because the situation's not great.
1: Yeah, there are some gems though. You can there, there there's there's there were a bunch of really good things. What, what's open and what's available at this juncture, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, but like, if you do some work, you can have some good meals around MSG. But like you do have to like really dig in and find. But <laughs> find, find some some gems because you can only do pizza Suprema so many times.
0: Do you get people asking you all the time uh, for like advice on where to eat, and is that annoying? Are you just are you? Do you have like a go to spot you just dropped now just to like end the conversation?
1: No, I, I love the question. It's actually a really hard question to answer. It's like, what's your favorite? It's
0: album? very hard.
1: It's kind of like asking somebody like, who? What's your favorite album of all time? Right. Or, right. Like, you know, like it's just or what's your? I don't know. It's it's not. Cause it's all about Okay. But like, what's the, cir- what's the circumstance? What's the situation? Right. Like, there's no like one size fits all. It's like, is it a, is it a special occasion? Is it a slice of pizza? Is it, is it a burger? Is it close to Madison square garden? Like, you know, there isn't just one thing. I, I've always been a momofuku Sam person. Like I, yeah. I, you know, I've spent most of my time in New York and East village and especially when we were just starting the website and whatnot, I lived around the corner from Sambar and like, i I absolutely adored that place, like that was my jam, right like I had all my all my picks were like perennially East Village picks, because that's where I spent so much time before I had kids and moved uptown and uptown. there's just not that much stuff that's that, that exciting, you know so there's there's a place that i used that that I absolutely love in East Village called upstate uh, Oyster, yes uptown, yeah that's an infatuation classic. I absolutely adore that place, tiny joint that just spits out oysters that I remember the first time I ever went there had a great experience the owner was behind the bar and i went in like a week and a half later and the dude recognized me and like called me by my name <laughs> it was amazing it's just like one of those like neighborhood feels that you're just like oh this is this is beautiful like here yeah i'm here all the time i feel like family time. <laughs> and you don't get that, that much in new york you know like in the city so it was it, right I, I love that
0: I mean, that's gotta be really rewarding when like people love the places that you recommend. Like I said, I like, I I put a lot of weight on people when they recommend things. And if they hit, you're like, you know, you text them afterward, you tell them when you go there again, and it just becomes kind of like this little bond, yeah, this little bond between people.
1: I think that's an important piece of all of this, right? Is that especially like what we've built with our audience is if if you, if you play a role, if like, you know, there's folks who've gone on first dates that used the infatuation to find that restaurant, right? And they loved the restaurant. Had a great first date, right? And they ultimately went and got married to that. Yeah. Restaurant. And like, we're a we play a role in that story, right? And like they forever like whoever picked that restaurant via infatuation, right? Like we've had heard so many stories like that 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 people it's a powerful thing, you know. I think people, um, you know, I I remember where I remember the restaurant I got engaged at, right? And like it just. I, there's something special there, and and bringing people together, um, you know, around common interests like like food is is really powerful. So, you know, those are those are important moments. And if you pick the right place for the right experience, I think one of you know, I tell this story a lot. But, you know, when we were back in the music business, like there's this social capital level to what we do, right? Like where we're offering people the idea, like the best case scenario is that you take our pics, right and like right. mask them as your own and make you look like restaurant genius mike you know where you're yeah. like oh, i know all this shit. like i take you here i take you here i take you here and they're like wow you really you you, you know what's up and um there one of the you know kid rock was there's one time where kid rock was coming to town when we had our old jobs and it was like all right rock like mexican food you know it's gonna be forty people there, you know. Forty people, you know. He's kind of likes the fancy stuff, and like Tom Brady is also gonna show up, potentially, right? And you're know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure. And I don't remember the restaurant was, but like, I just remember Chris telling the story once, and he like Rock came up to him at the restaurant, like, "Yo, you picked this?" And, he, and he's like, he was like, "Yeah," and he's like, "This place is dope," <laughs> and like walked, away, and then like walked <laughs> away. It's that like that little bit of like. That's that 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 recognition and the fact that you set this thing up and pick the right spot for the people to have a good time, you know, and that there's that there's art and power in all of that, which is a beautiful thing
0: Now I'm just imagining Kid Rock drinking margaritas somewhere in New York, uh, just eating some Mexican food hanging out with tom brady
1: it's yeah. a It's a powerful image there, it, it happened. <laughs> a lot of, like too way too much Republican action in that room
0: <laughs> so I mean. I'm going to make the shift back to the Knicks real quick. Do you have a place in mind to celebrate when they win the title? And uh, how much do you allow yourself to think of better days for the Knicks? Like how much are you rooted in reality now? And how much of it is like, you know, if Obi Toppin hits, if quickly hits, we get, you know, the number two pick in the draft this year. Like this is, this could come up pretty fast.
1: There is no reality in me that thinks about the Knicks winning a championship for real anytime soon. Really? I mean, I, you just, you can't even you allow yourself to dream. You allow yourself to dream, but you can't really put, until you have like real pieces in place where you're like, this feels like a realistic thing. What are the
0: real pieces for you right now? Do, do the mix have those for you? Real pieces in place.
1: Uh, TBD, TBD. I mean, I, you don't, you current, we currently do not have like an actual stud. Like, okay. like RJ, I think that's fair. I, I don't disagree. Be, RJ could be like love, like maybe. We'll see how it all develops, right? Like some of these guys, it's possible, but, you know, you, you need to win in the NBA. You need superstars. And, you need, and if you yeah. don't have, you need, like you even look at like a team like the Nuggets who don't have the like Luka, Luka or like marketable big, big, big name, but you do have Jokic and Jamal Murray. And like these guys- came,
0: I mean, Jokic like, is a star. Like he's a top star. top eight guy.
1: But nobody talks about him that way, right? And like he is, and you're right. But, like, the Knicks don't have anywhere near either of those guys. Even a Jamal Murray, yeah. right, who, like, Jokic is the star, Murray's the, like, plays off him. But there's just – just, we're still ways away from having any of that action.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why this, this season is kind of interesting. Like, the clearest cut path to getting that guy is to be bad and just go through yeah. the draft, right? Like, that's you get a – only way.
1: Like, the Knicks go nowhere – without losing a ton of games and finally getting lucky and getting a guy like that. Like, you're not winning shit in the NBA without it. You're not.
0: But it's, it's almost a paradox, though, right? Because, like, I think the way you eventually get stars, whether it be in free agency or when, you know, I don't know, Bradley Beal or whoever is angry and wants out of their team and they want to go to a winning organization is to start winning more games. And so you have to build yourself up slowly. But winning more games now comes at the cost of possible draft equity, later. And I mean, the way the lottery is now, you don't need to be, you know, the equivalent of a 17 win. I think we've seen two teams with number six lottery odds win the lottery. Um, like there, there is a trade-off there and I'm going to be interested to see how the Knicks navigate all that because they, they can't just be bad forever, but they also kind of need to be mad bad in the immediate future to kind of like get that guy,
1: just be bad
0: for a couple more years. And then, but you get fired that way in New York. Who's the GM who's lasted by being bad for a couple of years. Everyone gets fired that way.
1: Not if there's a long tail plan. Like if there's actually a plan, like the plan looks good this year. Let's see what happens next year. Like there's, you got to believe that you need a stud. Like if you don't, if you think you're going to win basketball games without those kinds of pieces, then you're, you know, it's just not going to happen unless you I guess, unless a team like the Detroit Pistons happens again when they won with like Chauncey and Rip and Wallace and Rashid.
0: Yeah. But that's, that's an outlier.
1: Yeah, like that's Leon Rose, a dominant team, the defensive minded <laughs> dominant
0: team. Leon Rose comes around at the right time, though. That the team is already bad, and he doesn't have to spend that extra season hollowing it out like yeah. Steve Mills and Phil Jackson had to do, which I think kind of probably hurt them in the long run um, in terms of just like the patience you get from the ownership. And so he he can do that right away his first year, and then move on from that. And I think that might um, just when you're figuring out the timetable, benefit him a little bit.
1: The Knicks' financial situation right now is a mix. Like that, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, looks, look the way they look and to have as much flexibility as they do. That's great. Like that, that is a really good thing. And you're right. Leon comes in at a great time. He was not really a part of that, but he didn't hurt it either this year. So that uh, that's all good. Um, and I think, look, when you talk about the Knicks winning a championship and where I want to be my like, goal i would love to open up a sports bar in new york that's like a half functioning sports bar a half functioning like sort of hall of fame like like museum right like a a museum shrine, shrine to new york city sports that isn't a place that like I just need to get a bunch of celebrity investment where like people are like, I just want this and I want to be able to come here, but it doesn't need to like make money, right? Like it needs, I need to figure out a way to, to have it, like, be, like make enough money to stay in business, right? So that this is the goal isn't to like print money with this thing, but the goal is for it to exist. So people have a place to go and like, cause like all, there are no good sports bars in New York, right? Like I'm, I'm sitting in my mom's basement. You don't want to be
0: in stout for six hours every Saturday? kill me
1: like that place. Give me a break. Like none of that. But like an actually really cool, like New York themed sports bar. Like I have boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff in my mom's basement where I currently am right now that just say future sports bar that I've taken, like all of my like basketball cards and baseball cards from growing up. Um, All of like my brother and I collected jerseys for when we were kids. So we've got like, yeah, I mean, probably have like 150 to 200 of like the 90s era champion jerseys, right? Oh, and those probably, are nice. Yeah, they're amazing. Probably, have, you know, there's some of the, some Nick jer- like tons of Nick stuff, but just I have so much stuff and I just have this dream. I'm like, I want to plaster the walls with, with sports cards as wallpaper. I want to like, like I have the, all like the classic posters, all the like jerseys, just, I don't know, like the Nick the, growing up in New York in the nineties, um, I think like there, there warrants being a special place for those of us who experienced that to like, at least like commiserate in our miseries and at best like eat unbelievable wings and watch the Knicks win a championship. So I don't know, like there that part of me, like there's something there that eventually when I have time, I'm going to, I'm going to actually do, but, um, Got other priorities right now, sadly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like this idea, though. I like kind of like a, a little bit, seems like a little bit of a higher end type of sports yeah. bar. Uh, lots of stuff going around. I I mean, maybe somebody hears this idea and they, they hear your pitch and they're in. and Yeah, it's um,
1: kind of like a clubhouse. I, I, have a, I feel like when I get, just need to, Need to have some more free time at some point in the future, and uh, and then we can we can we can think about it. But this isn't
0: was happening. the pandemic bad for free time?
1: <laughs> pandemic <I> mean, <laughs> pandemic has been horrible for free. I think everybody's pandemic has been very different. I as a pandemic as as a guy who has two small children at home um, I try and trying yeah. to manage running a company and kids at home during the pandemic, free time has not been something there's much of. Um, But, you know,
0: future is bright. I think everyone had had grand plans at the start of this. Like, oh, I'm going to read. I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to cook 17 sourdough breads or whatever. And then uh, there's the people who actually did it. And then there's the people who didn't and hate the people who had the time to do that. Um, I think that's how it's gone for a lot of them. Uh, I guess I want to ask one last thing. And because I think I've kept you here for like an hour and that's way too long. Uh, Who's your favorite Nick all time?
1: John Starks, my favorite nick of all time. I love Starks. I'm, uh, all those 90s teams, I'd say like Oakley, second, Mace, third, Jeremy Lynn coming in hot. At four, I think the the Linsanity moment was still probably the most fun I've had as a Knicks fan possibly ever. Like I think it was, yeah. it, it was such a such a long trip between the '90s Knicks and then the Linsanity thing. That like the Linsanity thing was just was so great. Um, I really I love Jeremy Lin so much, but starts, man. I mean, you look at those Knicks teams in the '90s. The fact they got as far as they did is impressive. I mean, they had, like, none of these guys, they had no talent other than Ewing, really. I mean, they just had yeah. a lot of guys who fought hard.
0: And well, Mason, hard. Mason was good, though. Like
1: He was great, but, like, I wouldn't say Anthony Mason was an incredibly talented basketball player. I would say Anthony Mason was a, was a beast of a basketball player who yeah. figured out how to be effective with – with his God-given talents, which weren't—I mean, he taught himself how to. That jump shot was disgusting, but it drained for mid-range, and then he just bodied up. He was great, but Starks—I just love the Starks story. I mean, people want to hate on Starks and they blame him for the Knicks not winning the championship, which is insane because Starks is part of the entire reason that they got right. That. I mean, he was the engine, and he just—he wasn't that great, but he gave it everything all the time and like got in people's faces and played hard and represented New York so well. And the whole idea of a guy who at one point was truly bagging groceries to bumping around from team to team to team to finally getting a chance. And for someone like Pat Riley to come in and coach him the way that he did and for him to help almost win a chip, it's wild. Yeah. He gave him an all-star. I mean, Starks is the best. I love Starks. That's my guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Pistons. Like, if that, if that Knicks team ended up winning a title in 94, yeah, Ewing was the number one overall pick, but, like, the second and third best players would have been, like you said, a guy who was bagging groceries, never got drafted, and another one who had to be, like, found out of the CBA and Anthony Mason, too. So, like, that would have been just a crazy roster building win for them, too. Holy uh, all right. Well, I'll end it there. Let you go out on a high uh, talking about John Starks. Andrew, I really do, I appreciate you coming on. Um, like I said, I, I love what you guys do. Um, and, uh, you know, I know it's it's been hard being a Knicks fan the last uh, few hard, decades. You,
1: it's been tough, but you, my friend, have made it better. Um, uh, much, much respect um, for what you're doing at The Athletic. You guys are doing amazing work. I love reading all the stuff that you do all the time. I'm a proud paying member and... really excited for the athletic to continue to to build because it's a it's a really unique service and one that like people need to be aware is something that like (laughs) is here to stay and that more people should be paying for
0: i I agree with all that uh ditto uh well i appreciate that and i mean if you don't use the infatuation in all the many ways i don't know i mean you guys had events and i don't know what you're i don't know what you guys do in the in this new world that we're living in and i don't mean that glibly like i i I know that's part of you know trying to figure out for all of us how to how to do things now um but i love i love what you guys do and um you know use the infatuation after you haven't been and andrew thank thank you for coming on thanks for coming on the long twos for sure